Welcome to another episode of the Bonsai Wire Podcast. In this episode, all four of us get together and talk about the work we've been doing this spring. I'm so glad you could join us. Yeah, so we're all on the West Coast, um, but there's probably some difference about what we're working on just, you know, Calif- uh, California and Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. Uh, Jonas, you probably don't have much in the way of frost, do you? Is it now and then real life? We, this year, we didn't really have much in the way of winter. Oh, wild. <laughs> Let alone frost. And spring was mm. cool. So a lot of things mm. started growing early because it's not cold, but then they never really kicked into gear. So a lot of trees yeah. are waking up way slower than normal and a tiny number of trees are growing more than normal. So as it is every year, it's been an odd year. Which are the ones that are growing really slowly? Because sometimes, sometimes as I understand it, that can be a reaction to not getting enough cold period. Uh, so some of them are the ones that are always slow, like the beach only just opened up, uh, maybe a month ago, something like that. Okay. That happens here too, though. That it's the last thing that comes out there. I have a lot of pines, pines with long candles and no needles yet, for instance, or barely any needles. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of read the year (laughs) for sure. And I never remember seeing so little growth this late in the season, which is kind of odd. Um, whereas the chojubai have grown faster than I've ever seen them grow in California. And I have, cannot tell you why. I couldn't either. It's a weird plant. It's really, really strange. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things I was thinking of um, uh, in uh, the hour before we started talking here was... <laughs> was uh, uh, that I always look forward to April, which is like our month after repotting um, because it's like a break, you know, it, it uh, repotting is, it's busy. Sometimes it can be exhausting um, and uh, it's nice to slow down, um, step back a bit and look um, and uh, it kind of take stock, you know, much like what Jonas is talking about. Boy, we didn't have a winter. <laughs> These plants are responding very differently. Sometimes, at least for me, I, I don't notice some of those things until actually repotting is finished because <laughs> we're so busy. Um, but it, 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 it's a nice time to enjoy what, whatever that is for you for up here in the Portland area. It's, uh, it's usually April into, into early uh, May. Um, when at this time of year we're, we're, we're pinching spruce and, um, you know, the Japanese maple extensions are long over re- regardless of what we do with them, whether they're pin- whether we're pinching them or letting them grow. I found that continual pinching of, of the Japanese maple can eventually slow them down to the point where they don't create buds. <laughs> so that, that's something that, uh, uh, seems to have a, a an end zone. <laughs> we want to give them a break now and then. Yeah, you've named my favorite time of the year as well. Uh, not much later into the month, but it's right when mm-hmm. repotting theoretically ends. And again, theoretically, you've got nothing else to do. That's when I started doing my fall work on pines this year. So it wasn't exactly a break. But, oh, gosh. <laughs> but I agree. When everything right. is wired, everything is plucked and thinned and everything's repotted, that's mm-hmm. usually the one time of the entire calendar year when I think, all right, this is pretty great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that you know, we, we can do some tasks that uh, are, are even best done then, but they're kind of not, you know, time crunchy kind of things like uh, cleaning up juniper bark, which is kind of slipping as the as the cambium grows, it gets looser, so it's easier to take off. It's a great time of year to do that. Um, I did that inadvertently when, um, again, because I didn't get to my winter work in winter, I 
repotted wired my junipers throughout April. And it turns out that mm. putting the most aggressive bends you can imagine in junipers and bare rooting them while they're growing very actively doesn't always work. Mm. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but interestingly, oh the uh, Itoigawa, I barely lost a branch. Uh, Kishu definitely lost branches. Some entire trees died oh, from the identical yeah. treatment. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Well, Itogawa is an incredibly strong plant. It, one would think it would be more diminutive in all elements because it has that thin shoot, but actually it trunks up faster. It's, uh, it's a really tough, fast growing plant. It grows faster than, than Kishu or, uh, any of the other, of the Shimpaku varieties. Yeah. Um, they're very yeah. rewarding to work with that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to the April thing, I got a, a semi-desperate text. Uh, it's probably been two or three weeks ago where it's a client friend of ours from Washington. And he texted like, what What am I supposed to be doing? I'm done with repotting and I'm just itching. Like, I know that there's something I've got to be doing right now. What are y'all doing? Like, tell me what y'all are doing right now. I said, we're taking breaks <laughs> and we're cleaning the yard and we're rearranging the tools. And he's like, oh, dang, I want to be working on the trees, but there's nothing to do. It's like, well. Catch up on the other tasks, you know. Send them down here. There's no lack of work to do. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. It's like you could follow the seasons, you know. People that pick mushrooms, they start in California well, there and then they work go. up yeah. to yeah. Oregon, you know. Hit the road. Yeah, hit the road. Go <laughs> go south. Let's see. I still have three more flats of junipers mm -hmm. to wire and repot. I've got three more pines to prune. I've kind of given up on plucking at this point. And I've got a load of deciduous trees that need work. Oh, and the oaks came out about five, six weeks later than normal. Um, and they are in oh. desperate need of pruning right now as well. Hmm. Is this a, a live oak? You know, you got something else? Live oak and cork oak. The uh, yeah. cork oaks typically start growing right on April 1st every year. And they didn't start growing until a week or two ago. Huh which is really strange. And yeah. the live oaks just normally come out anytime between December and typically March. But mm -hmm. I have some that are only just now opening up while other oaks are putting on second flushes right now. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. So like coast live oak are interesting that way, even when they're in their native environment, they do really creative things. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, this is your first uh, spring in your own garden and so like what, uh, what kind of different stuff are you doing this year that you, you know, are maybe you weren't expecting for a spring? Yeah, I'm building fences and uh, <laughs> moving around gravel and uh, stacking wood. <laughs> and, uh, a, a lot of garden construction. So I'm, I'm taking the, the break from repotting to, to keep building the garden, which has been fun. Uh, I have almost all of my benches up. I still have some benches to do in the greenhouse. Um, I, uh, I'm fertilizing the trees a lot uh, because I'm focusing so much on garden construction this year. I'm I'm kind of just giving the trees not really a break, but I'm 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 giving them a strong year, so I'm fertilizing a lot, letting them just get <clears throat> nice and nice and vigorous, uh, just so so I don't miss anything <laughs> while I'm focused on garden construction. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of building at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was. Uh, um, very uh, kind of appropriate what you did with the uh, uh, the huge red oak that you took down to to create enough light in in the yard. Um, massive 
what was it, 80, 100 year old tree. Um, and uh, uh, so you had them sawn uh, um, and uh, created benches uh, out of uh, chunks of, of that. So, so there's a live edge um, uh, benches then integrated. <laughs> um, that's new. I hadn't seen that before. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of a nice contrast to the formality of the, the cinder block, yeah. which, is, which is kind of fun. Yeah, so. yeah, it's beautiful. So how are you figuring out the fertilizer thing? I know a lot of people are really worried about fertilizing deciduous trees in spring. I, I, I'm kind of the opposite. I mean, if, if I have a really old tree that I'm trying to refine, then sure. Um, but I, the, I've been thinking lately that keeping the tree on a stronger side, I'd much rather have that than, you know, keeping it on like the brink of death on the, on the weak side in order to gain ramification. I know a lot of people build trees that way. I'm, I'm probably more similar to Walter Paul. Walter Paul pushes his trees hard in the spring. Uh, and because of that, he's able to do pretty vigorous work in the summertime. And, and lately I've, I, I like seeing strength. Um, in order to do a lot of the work that I do in the summer. So I, I'm giving the trees quite a bit of fertilizer. I, mo most of my garden is young trees. And so I, I'm still trying to build primary branching. So if I have extension uh, and large leaves and large internodes, I'm not too worried about it because it's going to get cut off. Um, Are there any trees you're holding back on the fertilizer? Not too many. Um, you know, I'm fertilizing things at least once a week. Uh, and I might give them, you know, half the fertilizer that the plant next to it is getting um, in the in the dosage. But I'm, I'm fertilizing everything. Like your big beech, your big coralopsis, all those guys, quite a bit. Of yeah. Food. And I found the the big beech, the big coralopsis, when they have so much ramification, you almost have to fertilize it more in the spring. Yes. Um, yeah. In order to retain that amount of density, which is totally abnormal for the plant. You know, in bonsai, we're forcing all of this you know, density, you know, within the, the space of your hand, maybe we're, we're forcing, you know, a dozen or two dozen branches where normally, you know, the plant growing in the wild would only have three or four. Right. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. in order to this sustain ramification, I fertilize trees quite a bit. I yeah, have... mature trees need it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's one of those strange um, uh, ironies is that, is that building trees like you're describing young trees uh, it takes a lot of fertilizer and then you might actually maintain a very similar level of fertilizer for your mature trees. <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. finding that the trees will tell us that even if we, if we do or don't follow a recipe, our teacher tells us I yeah. acquired yeah. what seven large mature deciduous trees over winter. And I find that they were already starting to go pale a month ago. And that tells you that they need more fertilizer. The tree's like, hey, look at this. I don't have the resources I need. And so they pretty much, some of them need fertilizer just right out of the gates as they're opening up or else they're just not going to get that nice deep color in the, in the leaves. Yeah. 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 I find that too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then uh, it, it also seems to depend upon situation. Um, I do know area, uh, gardens where, uh, trees are so strong because of just sort of microclimate uh, situations. It's uh, maybe more humid than what we have, for instance, here in the Portland area in the summer, for instance, or they, they have more shade or whatnot. And, and if they're fertilizing at the level that I might be fertilizing, um, the, the trees are, are, ran, are far too rambunctious. <laughs> so, um, 
it, it's almost impossible, I think, to, to give somebody a, a template and say, this is what you do in the spring. <laughs> right. Um, and you really, don't know really what the person, and you may not uh, remember what you yeah. did in fall, and you may not know what someone else had done yeah, in the tree in too. fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. So when you see yellow leaves, you need to fertilize more. When the things put on 12 inches by May 1st, right, you right. might you might not need a lot of fertilizer on a mature tree. Right. right, right. Yeah, so the question of when do you start the fertilizer and how do you program it through the year is um, specific to your to your place to some degree. But um, I'm, you know, I, more and more I lean in the direction of uh, what Andrew was describing, um, uh, not just for build, uh, although that's a that's a major feature. Most of us are building our trees, really. We don't have many highly developed trees. Um, but one thing that um, uh, that that definitely comes along with, with with a healthier, stronger tree is is that it it tends to resist disease. Um, um, too strong a tree, and we can attract pests. So there's a <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's a little bit of a balance there, but um, um, but but that that I found for sure is that 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 you do tend to sidestep a lot of the issues that a, that a tree that just can't quite get enough mineral um, uh, is uh, is going to be susceptible to to more disease. Are you doing any work, John, in your garden this time of year, or is everything just kind of going crazy? Yeah, things are kind of just going crazy. I am planting. Uh, Michael can attest. I'm planting seeds. Um, I, <laughs> for the last three years, I bought seeds from different sources, uh, mostly maples, and I had almost zero uh, germination rate. It just I was frustrating myself. Just what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? And then I got some trees off of maple in the front yard here, uh, just some local seed, and in the front yard, and planted it and had a hundred percent. Uh, success rate. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe the seeds are old. So I found another seed source this this winter and just planted a ton of seed because I'd had such poor results in the past. And I think I'm I think I'm about four thousand seeds in that are I, I decided to let them germinate in the substrate before I potted them up just because I wasn't going to waste pot space this year, you know. And I think I've potted up about four thousand maples. So there there will be maples this year. Uh, <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> there won't be room, but there will be maples. <laughs> so what's your recipe going to be for year one of maple growth from seed? You know, I don't know. I think I'm probably just going to push hard and let grow. And then I'll begin root work and or, uh, you know, putting through putting through a washer next year. But I think this year I probably just push them hard. Mm. A lot of sun, a lot of fertilizer. Can maples do full sun when they're young up where you are? Yeah, I think so. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, with the, mo with the more mature trees, you know, we have the possibility of leaf edge burn or we have, you know, issues with, uh, with like more mature bonsai, but, but with the young stuff, you know, I'm not so worried about that. Uh, if I get a little leaf burn or, you know, there's not the same kind of issues that I have to deal with because I've got more soil, I've got more water holding capacity in the soil, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And you might not be, you know, cutting them back very much during the year, right? So you're not going to get, you know, burn coming in and right, you're right, just kind of right. letting them be bushes the first time. Exactly. Years. Yeah. Yeah. And they're fairly, they grow in fairly tight. You know, I think for the first year, I can afford to have them in flats where, you know, I don't have a whole lot of sun to the bottom of the trunk, that kind of thing, which, you know, 
we want to be careful with with older trees or with more mature bonsai we want to be careful to spread them out a little bit but with the young stuff you know we're really just i'm just really trying to get girth and you know wildness there here in the beginning and then we'll go but i am uh i am trying to do some like trying to figure out how early i can start wiring um that fine window of like okay at some point it becomes too big to wire naturally at some point it becomes too brittle um you know and so it's like but then it when it's tiny it's real delicate so it's like eh, where do you where do you find that balance of like how early can i begin to to add a little movement to the trunk line you know rather than doing like a cut and grow sort of thing but doing more like shoheen um wirings so yeah kind of playing with that a little bit this year you're going to answer that very naturally because there's no day on which you can wire all four thousand of them uh well no we're gonna try though we're gonna try <laughs> you can start them surprisingly young it yeah. really comes down to how much movement do you want to put in these things and that's going to answer the question for how old they can be right exactly exactly and the the big problem i have right now and, and it's one of the reasons i'm uh playing with this experimentation is that this first run of maples i did that was so successful i probably have 1500 in a 10 by 20 flat and so there it's just, you know, a massive amount of trees in there. So obviously they're not all going to survive, but like, I've got to get them out of there. I got to do something to them. You know, they're not, they're not going to thrive in that environment because there's so many of them that came up. So yeah, I got to start playing around a little bit with them. Nice. And when do the uh, first trees go in the ground at left coast bonsai? Uh, but you know, probably as soon as we will move in there around July, uh, this year and then my first priority is to get a permanent water system i've got two or three temporary water systems set up already just to get the things i've got out there to survive uh, but my first big job is to get a permanent water system going and then i'll probably throw some stuff in the fall uh, this this potting season i did a few things into grow bags felt grow bags so they'll just be ready to plop in a hole i uh, won't have to do any big repotting with them so yeah i'm hoping to have a couple hundred pot plants in the ground by by winter and then the rest of the stuff's just going to live in colanders or pots or whatever for a few years probably that's exciting yeah it's pretty wild it's pretty wild to work on the you know we we don't have power down at the grow area so i've been experimenting with solar powered water pump systems and that's like really fun and exciting to figure out how to get a direct drive pump running off of a solar panel and to water <laughs> the trees while i'm not there because you know i'm I'm only going there every other weekend, so I've got to have something that's that's providing some water to the to trees that are there. And so it's it's yeah, it's been kind of a fun project. And so I'm going to really enjoy doing. Uh, we're going to do a lot of alternative. I'm going to do wind and solar, just because we don't have power down there. So I've got to find alternative ways to put to get energy down there to to do the you know the small amounts of stuff we have to do with the trees. But. Let us know when you figure that one out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fun. I'll I'll send out some photos because I I have just been super excited about. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna gonna start building a wind. It's a little windier there than it is here. I mean, just I think par partly because of the city blocks a lot of the wind here. Um, but you know, once you get out out of the city, we get a fair amount of wind, and we're kind of up on a ridge. So yeah, I'm excited to put in some wind stuff and got some fun ideas about different alternative energy stuff. So yeah, I kind of kind of enjoy playing with that in in addition to the trees. Or for the, for the sake of the trees. You were talking about kind of one of the helix uh, wind turbines, not a not a fan. Yeah, so, vertical, right? Uh, right? Vertical, right? Vertical. Um, 
I forget what they're called, a vertical turbine rather than a blades. Hmm. And so does, it, it, does they work under lower lower wind? They work under lower wind and they're less dangerous to birds and stuff because birds can't really get caught in the blades. Hmm. Um, and so they're just a little more efficient on a small scale. Once you get larger, you know, what you see on a commercial scale with the blades is, is oh. a lot more efficient, but on a, on a small scale, like a home scale, the oh. vertical is a lot, a lot easier to work with, a lot easier to mount. You don't have as much uh, width. So they're, you know, the ones I'm going to be building are only like two feet wide and six oh. feet tall. Uh-huh. And so you don't have that, you don't, you know, you don't have to like guy wire it as much or figure out how to, you know, hold it up there as well, because it's, it's, it's kind of good center of mass because it's all on a vertical plane. But yeah, so just some combination of solar in the daytime and wind at night and wind in the winter. Do you guys have multiple wells out there or one big well? Or uh, We have an acre, so it's a 15-acre plot and the, one of the, oh no, 40 acres, sorry. They're 15 acres of growing. Uh, there's an acre pond as part of that. So there's mm-hmm. an acre of surface water. And then there's two wells that are residential water, uh, you know, drinking water wells. So we'll... We'll use the acre pond with it and it's got a spring feeding it so the we'll use that for irrigation and then the wells for for home use have you tested the water is it in pretty good shape uh no it's in terrible shape actually we're trying to dig a new well the, the well water is not safe uh so we're just using it to flush toilets and stuff and right now everybody's just pulling in drinking water you know five gallon in the grocery store or whatever you know the, the fill up your five gallon jug uh but, you know, it's crazy because the water table there is super low um, and so you it's super shallow, but they had a well dug and they went 150 feet and found nothing. So, oh, wow, they're going to have to figure out somewhere else to punch a well um, because, you know, because this one's it, it's uh, the, the property has two levels and it's at the lower level and it's just past the pond. So the, the overflow from the pond is essentially feeding the the well. So it, it's essentially like water, gr- groundwater runoff that's feeding the well, the current well. So it's just completely tainted, yeah. uh, you know, this, just bacterial problems and, you know, chemical runoff problems. So, yeah, it's not safe to drink, but they're, they're, we're trying to figure out a new solution to get, to get a drinkable well. Um, but for now, we're just filtering and bringing water in to drink. Solar-powered RO system. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of solar, we should talk a bit about shade. Um, starting in spring, might, yeah. Uh, this is a big time of some, year for micro micro movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some. I, I have a real kind of a hot sunny yard, so shade cloth has been a real feature, and certainly in some yards that isn't that isn't as as important. And if you if you're growing, you know, exclusively pines or junipers or something like that, you you might have very minimal or no need uh, for that. But, but shade cloth is something that, that uh, um, for whatever reason, we, well, I guess we're in one of the hottest areas of Portland actually. <laughs> um, and uh, I've uh, uh, needed that in the yard. We've, we've gone all the way up to 50% in one area for some of the um, high elevation cloud cover sort of conifers uh, uh, like some of the spruce um, and uh, and and also some of the the deciduous and and um, and accent plants, um, 
So um, we, we have missed, I think, the window uh, the last five years running, except for this spring. I think we finally got <laughs> so and, and the wind by the window, I mean, when the temperature suddenly uh, jumps like 15, 20 degrees and you get your first 80, you know, 90 degree day or something like that. You get a, you get a bunch of shock uh, on the plants um, uh, when they're not yet hardened off, especially as when, uh, when some, some leaf burn can, can happen. So um, uh, we, we take down the shade cloth in the wintertime because we get enough snow here that, uh, that the whole thing could implode. <laughs> um, but it's easy to uh, put up and set down. Usually we're using zip ties. It's pretty, pretty simple. So you have some 50%. What's the rest? Uh, 40. Um, I had 30 at one point, but it just, it wasn't enough for some of the, the more tender things and pines and junipers are just out in full sun. Um, um, but, it, but it allows, you know, having full sun 40 and then 50 allows, uh, you know, depending upon how the tree is looking. Um, and then if it's, Really, if, if a tree is struggling a bit for whatever reason, it could go into a greenhouse, which has more shade cloth over it as well, but it stops the wind and whatnot. Um, Andrew, are you thinking of shade cloth anywhere? I can't remember if we've talked about that. Are you going to do uh, full sun? You, you have more trees than I do uh, surrounding the yard. Yeah, I have a lot uh, more trees in the environment, um, yeah. but I think I am going to put up shade cloth. Um, part of my reason for fertilizing things pretty strongly is is to to delay <laughs> delay that a little bit. I, I'm probably not going to be able to get shade cloth up until the end of June, um, mm -hmm. which will still help. I mean, July and August are our worst months here in in Portland for 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 strong sun and hot weather. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm currently trying to figure that out. Um, as everyone knows, my garden is practically 90, 90% or more deciduous. And so I have about a quarter acre that I <laughs> ideally would need to shade cloth, which is a lot. It's, it's a lot of space. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to, hmm. to make it cost effective and, and also functional for, for that large of space. Yeah. Yeah. Have you considered protect? Is that, is that a, uh, Something on your radar? Yeah, yeah. Protect. It's a silicone solution. I, I'm thinking yeah. about it. I, I haven't applied any yet, but I, it's probably a good idea. Um, I, I haven't seen any problems so far in the yard, but hmm. like mm -hmm. with these things, we want to be prophylactic. So I, I, I should be, you know, yeah. doing some of these things before we even see a problem. Uh, but so far, things have been great. Even even more sun sensitive plants like Coralopsis has has really been enjoying the full sun so far. Mm. I have a huge oak tree or, or a, a group of oak trees that, that block out uh, and shade the, the garden by around 4.30 p.m., uh, which is kind of our hottest part of the day. And mm. so that's been really helpful to just kind of take the edge off during the hot part. Mm -hmm. um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I think when I do put up shade cloth, I don't need to do 50. I might need to do 35 or 40, something like that just because of my surroundings but yeah. I'm, I'm currently trying to design a structure and then we'll be building it early next month hmm. great infrastructure yeah. that's, that's jonas fun. do you use any sort of uh semi-permanent or permanent shade cloth set up in your yard yeah i just put up uh i have a couple benches where the most tender deciduous trees are the most refined trees and for years that had always been 30%. And I went to 40% last year and found some things did better, some things did worse. 
So this year I was about to put up the 30% again when I realized I must have given it away. So I went with 40% <laughs> since that's what I had. And the one thing I did differently is I haven't added sides yet because adding sides mm. makes a huge difference depending on how much wind you have. And while some airflow circulation is good, depending on how hot it is where you are, you can benefit a lot from cutting down the wind. So yeah. instead, I'm leaving the sides open this year, at least for now. And I'm, well, I guess one of the sides is closed because that's where it gets the afternoon sun. And then I'm just moving trees around to find out what makes the most sense. But it's tough. Mm. Some azaleas love the 40%. It's mm -hmm. perfect for them. Whereas the deciduous, honestly, most don't need much at all. The problem we get is, you know, today's going to have a high of, you know, somewhere in the low to mid 60s at best. And a few days ago, it got up to 87. And so I would love it if I could have a, <laughs> yeah. a big curtain I could draw back and forth over it because I really only need the shade cloth when it gets hot. Mm, right. So yeah, if I do a permanent structure, that's what it's going to be is something I can open and close just in the morning. Mm-hmm. A little runners. Yeah. Pull it, pull it over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And John, you're going to have a big greenhouse, a huge greenhouse, um, which could give you some advantage. I, of course, you know, a, a six mil plastic, most of the, the plastic that we buy for greenhouses is uh, nine or 10% shade cloth equivalents. Uh, so there's something right there. Um, yeah. are, you plan are you planning on having some, some shade, shade cloth? Yeah, I don't know if I am. I, I'm going to have some hoops uh, that I can throw stuff on for, you know, for deep freezes, most likely. Mm. And I may I may end up doing shade in the summer and covering in the winter kind of thing. Mm. Uh, but the this uh, rigid panel, I can't remember the name of this hard plastic uh, paneling that the greenhouse is made of. Polycarbonate? Yeah, polycarbonate. That's mm -hmm. right. Sheets of polycarbonate. But it's got some crazy prismic... Um, diffuse thing in it so when you're inside of it it feels sort of like you're in a uh, kaleidoscope mm -hmm. uh, the the light is really odd and i don't know if it creates any uh like shading capacity but i think that th that the light works differently so you don't have the same kind of you don't have any you know direct light as it is so the so, diffusion might be different because yeah, the diffusion some plastics have a diffusion. Right. Feature. The diffusion is insane. It just it feels really weird being in there. Hmm. Like working inside of there is really kind of weird. It takes a little time to get used to because the hmm. the light scattering is different. It's kind of like the light is all around you, sort of like if you were in a, a well-lit room that was painted all white floor and ceiling, you know, it just has this odd ethereal feel to it you know john that's the way we think of you the light is I all know. around you i mean it, you know <laughs> so do you i think that'll work well for you <laughs> exactly i'm curious i often do different kinds of things with trees every year and just based on how they're growing and i'm i've already started doing a lot of uh cutback for the trees that came out early this year and i'm curious are there any techniques that you're tweaking a little bit or changing or doing differently? Um, are there any kind of themes you're thinking about this year as you go into the, the good deciduous season? And that's all of you, or is it just a simple recipe and you follow the exact <laughs> same thing every year? We're students of Michael. We do the same thing every year. Okay. We all never right. change anything. <laughs> no, they don't. Sign me up. Yeah. Nor should they. <laughs> yes, <right. laughs> I mean, I think for 
Oh, go ahead, Andrew. I, I'm being on multi-flush species. I'm being a little less careful than I have in the past. Um, you know, whereas I would have like cut every leaf along the petiole, <laughs> like just very delicately on trinents and amber maples. I'm just totally attacking them like a, like a, like a deer or a pestwood, you know, having leaves that are, you know, ended up cut in half or two thirds and, you know, I'm pulling the leaves off. I, I have so many plants and I, I wonder if the, the type of, work if if you're more aggressive on the plant <laughs> if that gets you a more aggressive response i'm not really sure but um you'll find I, I'm out attack, soon. i'm attack i'm attacking some plants a little bit more mm, yeah i noticed you got a chainsaw i don't know if that was going to be for, <laughs> for pruning or what was that <laughs> chainsaw was for root work which surprisingly <laughs> surprisingly did well i don't i don't recommend it but uh no, I was able to, you know, when you're when you're doing things on your own and you don't have helpers and you're working on big trees, you kind of have to innovate a little bit and get creative. And so that's where the, the chainsaw came in to play rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. hacking away <laughs> for hours with a concave printer, just making a 10 second chainsaw <laughs> tended to help or, or die grinders or, or different tools just to, you know, if you have to hold the plant with one hand and, and really do a lot of woodwork on the, the bottom, then... Mm -hmm. There are some power tools that can help, but it also brings a lot of risk too. So it's a little tricky, but uh, hmm. yeah, no power tools on the bonsai themselves on the, the, you know, above the, 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 on the woody part of the plant this year. Um, yeah. But no, I'm with shears <laughs> and, you know, I, I have these like Moscone like, like hedging kind of shears <laughs> uh, that I've been using on the tridents, which is, which has been fun. I just started uh, doing some defoliation and cut back. Wow. Um, the last couple of days, but I was at a client's in Texas, uh, a couple clients in Texas and, uh, they're, they're, they're quite a bit ahead of us. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced growing tridents in Texas, they probably get two or three more flushes than, than we possibly could here in Portland, uh, mm. just cause the heat mm. and humidity just go gang, mm. they go gangbusters down there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm being a little bit more aggressive on the multi-flush, and I'm seeing a really positive response on that. Nice. Mm -hmm. Do you have any um, super refined tridents where you're taking more of a pinching approach than a shearing approach? Not yet. I have uh, personally. I, I have uh, most of the tridents in the garden. Although the trunks are pretty impressive, the uh, the the branch work is just not there yet. I, I most of the plants I get is a nice trunk and nothing more than that. Um, so I'm still doing a lot of branch building. Uh, some clients trees have, have some more uh, refinement to them, trees that have been imported. Uh, and we're a little bit more delicate on those, but the, the trees that are a little bit younger and, and rougher, I'm, I'm being a little rough on my approach and that seems to be paying off well. That's one thing that's always interesting is trying to help people figure out where the line is between when you let the tree grow out and cut it back because you're aiming for bifurcation versus you have great ramification. You're trying to keep things small and keep the outside from going crazy to where you're pinching something like a trident. And there's just about very little resources available on that for people. Right, right. Of course, we have very few refined tridents, so you know, it kind of works both ways. Sure. <laughs> well, Jonas, what crazy deciduous work are you doing? You're you're ahead of us, so you're more in the season. We're just kind of getting started in Portland. Yeah, it's true. I'm watching the uh, some of the tridents. I've already done one round of that kind of partial defoliation. Have already been coming out again, and they're budding really well. Last night, I cut back my hornbeam, and I did it a little different than normal. Usually, I do 
quite a bit of outer defoliation, but it's getting dense enough and full enough that it put out a very civilized amount of growth this spring. And I thought, oh, how nice. And so instead of just kind of, again, attacking it, I, for the first time, took a lot more care. I spent two hours, I think, on this, you know, 14, 15 inch tree. And I cut back to roughly two leaves on the entire tree and then pulled all the big leaves until I saw enough light was getting through. And I, it was the first time I had done that detailed level work this time of year. And so I'll be curious if it makes a difference or not. Yeah. Michael, have you started deciduous work yet? Um, we haven't done too much where um, we did a fair bit of repotting this year on, on many of the trees that we normally be working on. And usually when we do that, it gives an extra two weeks of growth before doing anything just to let the roots reestablish. But we're, we're almost there. Um, we've, we've had, uh, because of that, we've had a little bit of a, a longer thumb twiddling April slash May than usual. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, we, some of the Azo spruce in the yard have begun to, the, the, the foliage uh, uh, masses have begun to mature and it, it's incredible how fast they ramify once you begin to uh, to start pinching them. If you just sort of let them grow, they're gangly like any spruce, but, but the pinching feature creates this sort of back budding. I was just writing a post about this, but it, um, um, it, it's a, it's a funny little, little plant, um, the spruce, because usually when you pinch it, it doesn't bud where you pinch it buds back where that shoot begins. And so you get sometimes even two buds back there. And that's when this sort of uh, building and exponential sort of budding happens. And then you can have a fairly small pad, only six inches across it and have over a hundred shoots on it. Um, and, and as they're coming out at different times of, it just takes about a month to completely flush out every few days you're pinching. And it's a lot of work. It's a very simple little operation, but because there's so many of them, <laughs> John is on one side and I'm on the other and we're, just, you know, it's not a very big plant, but it, it's just an awful lot of work and any, you know, they're, they're more, um, involved techniques. I mean, it, at, at that stage, when the bud is just opening up, you can't see any of the buds along the shoot. If, if there are any, um, uh, you, you, you wouldn't see them. They'd be so small. So pinching is really the, the only operation, um, at, at that stage, if you let it harden off, then you can start see, seeing that, but it, there's no way you'd, you'd tackle something that is, uh, uh, mature, like a few of the trees that are starting to, to, to look that way. And I created these trees. They weren't, um, they weren't trees that we got anywhere. So within, with within less than 10 years, uh, starting this, this pinching operation, you can create some incredible branch density. It's, really, it's been, it's been, been fun to watch that happen. Of course, I, I studied on, on Spruit, on Azo in Japan and, and they were all incredibly dense. I mean, they, they, there wasn't a single one that was that was thin, and so I had no idea what that progression was. You know, but from a thin tree to a dense tree, what is it? Well, it's about ten years or less. It's not all that long. <laughs> Do you treat cedars similarly? Um, uh, let's see. We have a we have a red cedar. Uh, uh, John, help me. I was me. thinking Andrew, more like the, Is that what it's called? Uh, uh, no, the, <laughs> the two, Western... we have two yellow cedars. Yellow, thank you. Yeah, no, I, thought, oh, I was I thinking was of wrong. true cedar. Cedrus. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, oh, gosh. In, in, in the moment, we don't have one in the yard. We have one overhanging the yard, and we haven't thought right. about pinching it. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but uh, for the um, the yellow cedar, um, we we have been pinching it the last few years. I don't know much about this tree. We were, we were gifted one by, by Anton. 
Um, and uh, and it responds very well to pinching, much like Hinoki. You can you can also pinch it. It's an almost identical sort of response. But as far as cedar, um, I I don't pinch cedar. Do you have have you done that? I haven't played with them enough. I did a bunch yeah, yeah. of pinching on all the long shoots, kind of like what you were okay. saying for the cedar, where when you've got these long shoots out on the end, I pinch those to see what would happen. And then if I'm already oh. getting a short shoot, I just left it alone. Okay. For, and that's for, a relatively young tree. So I'll be curious to see. And like that's an Atlas cedar. Uh, Atlas. Okay, yeah. True cedars. Get back to us on that. I, uh, what, what I've done is, is let them grow out and then I cut back to a bud that I can see. There seems to be a, a range of trees that respond really well to that. You know, like uh, Doug fir, you can do that with. Um, that works pretty well for them. Um, and that's what I've done to date. I, that's why I'm curious mm -hmm. about how yeah. the, if pinching is yeah. a viable option or not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think a really strong full tree pinching many different things is probably an option. Uh, on the other hand, if you're building a tree and you want more root growth, you let it grow out and harden off because that'll that'll grow more more roots. That, I, at least that's my uh, my instinct with it. But um, um, we've been doing a lot of grafting. Also, uh, we've jumped into juniper grafting. So pine grafting is the window's closed for us for that. But uh, we've done a ton of uh, juniper, hinoki. Uh, we're actually doing a hinoki on a yellow cedar. Kind of fun. Um, so yeah, just some fun grafting, grafting stuff mm -hmm. that we've been working on. Mm -hmm. So what's the take rate like when they're growing so rapidly? Um, I know I've done most of my junipers right before they're starting to grow rather than when they're growing at their absolute fastest. Yeah, it's interesting. We don't do the before. I want to do some playing um, next year, but we don't graft a whole lot before they start growing we mostly do in the growth season huh. uh for the junipers um and you know i think it's probably user error but we're i'm getting probably between 40 and 70 percent take uh but i think that part of that's user error because some trees i got 100 percent take and some trees i got 10 percent take you know so it's just who I was working with or what I was doing or what mood I was in, or if the cat was hungry or whatever the situation was, you know, <laughs> are those all uh, side veneers or any approaches? Uh, all sides. Yeah. All, but all, no, all scions uh, and all yeah. buddy tape. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy tape scions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the Japanese will do that in, in June, juniper grafting. So they're, it's, it's, I mean, it's very humid there in, in June. They have their monsoon So June's season. humid, and that would be after that first flush of growth is exactly. kind of hardening yeah. off. And so it's not during yeah. that flush. Yeah, season. yeah. Right. So right. this is our, I think this yeah. is our first year to try the early, early. Um, so I just finished a big run on that early growing growth. Um, and then I think with the hope that that by the normal season in July, when things are hardened off and ready to go, then we can kind of see what had failed in that or in these early we can regraft then again if we need to so we're kind of playing with that a little bit this year and it's just seeing if we get a little a little better take on the early stuff so yeah yeah it, it's fun to experiment a bit i, I typically in in our garden i've i've um fertilize, uh, fertilized <laughs> yeah i've done that as well but <laughs> but in right around in june is, is when i usually usually do most of my grafting i think doesn't Fred Mirhar down in California graft summer in uh, February in the Ishis, Gary Ishi? I thought I thought it was yeah. uh, in Southern Cal. That's what I remember talking about with uh, Fred, because we've talked a lot about grafting and we've always looked at it as kind of a bell curve because those guys do thousands of grafts, you know, in big years. Right. 
And it looks like the take rate is highest. And that's what the textbooks will tell you when the, right. when the understock is asleep or not, I mean, the, uh, the scions are asleep, but the right. tree is right. active. That would be your ideal right. situation. Mm-hmm. And so your success rate would be highest right when the trees are waking up and that rates just mm-hmm. kind of drop a little bit from there. I don't know how meaningful that drop is. I just know that I've always aimed for that time because that's right. theoretically when you're playing the odds. And that's what they just say about pines as well, is uh, throw your scions that are dormant into the refrigerator for two, three weeks. And then when your stock is woken up, then you graft. Um, so if they're saying the same thing about juniper, then that's a, that's a parallel. Yeah. And that, that they, that you know, the, the season for them might start in, you know, December into January into February, give or take. But that's when mm-hmm. I think most of that juniper grafting happens down there. Hmm. And that's what I've always done it up here. But I know more and more people are grafting more species in more months of the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you doing any grafting, Andrew? I'm not doing any grafting, but uh, I'm just looking out the window at my uh, black pines and I'm realizing that uh, tea candle season has just creeped up on me. <laughs> we have two weeks to get two, two weeks or so to get them done. <laughs> and so, yeah, seriously, that early? Yeah. In Portland, yeah, we like to get them quick. all done by June 1st. Uh, and really? this is the, this is the kind of interesting thing where we're ahead of you <laughs> on that thing. The, the table's a little turned just because we have, you know, we don't have a lot of heat in our growing season is, is, not shorter, shorter but yeah, we have more end. cold and so we have to do right. them quite early in the year yeah, uh, that's a good point it's a long growing season but the 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 first part of the 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 uh the growing season and the tail end are cool uh yeah. the things just kind of creep along how open are the pines right now if you're about to start to candle needles are just beginning to come out yeah. so it's yeah. nothing like nothing wow like, where like they're at, turning where from like gold so. to green like they're yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. about it Tips so our trees look the same but you have to yeah. decandle this early exactly yeah yeah, yeah. versus oh, yeah. versus when do you decandle jonas you're probably like a month or two behind those <laughs> well i'm always the worst person to ask for that but <laughs> when, when should I, you decandle on the bay <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> should gosh the tyranny of the should the earliest <laughs> i've ever decandled is uh may 15th i remember when i was prepping a couple trees for the u.s national show I tried it as early as May 15, which is, I see in two days. Two days. Yeah, right. You got yeah, a little time. Got to get on it. And it actually ended up working just fine. And I've decandled as late as, I mean, for a normal tree, I'd say into July, but I can do it a little bit later than that. Uh, the first two weeks of July, usually no problem, but uh, you can go a little later. Depends on the size of the tree, the health of the tree, all that other normal stuff. And what's so great yeah. about the Bay Area is sometimes you decandle early, you end up with a hot summer, everything's too big. Sometimes you decandle late, you get a cold summer. I have often decandled and then not seen the sun for two months. And so then uh, you just, you take it way less seriously when you know that you're out of control of the weather. And so normally I start decandling end of May, first week of June, and then I wrap up first week of July. That's the the core Mm -hmm. season. So how do do you handle your, uh, a tree that you, deemed to be a, a little bit weaker you decandle it you give it another week or two or how do how do you handle them if it's weaker i would likely decandle it earlier rather than later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what we've done um uh, what do, do you like the response of that because i've been on the fence well there's so many different variables it's funny it's a, such yeah. a simple act you right. can 
Sometimes you can stop fertilizing a month before decandling. Sometimes you stop fertilizing when you decandle. Sometimes you fertilize all through the decandling period. So if it's a young tree and you know it's strong (laughs) and it's an earlier stage of development, but it's a little weak, maybe you decandle at the normal time, but fertilize all the way through, for instance. Right. We've done that in some years where everything seems a little weaker than I had expected. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I'll do is more and more I'm decandling trees I'm cutting them back past the normal spot into the old needles. And so I'm cutting back to trigger needle buds instead of uh, adventitious buds. Mm. And so in that case, I actually decandle about two weeks earlier on average when I'm going for needle buds and Mm -hmm. I'll give those trees a lot more fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And I did that with all of my most refined shoheen last year where I decandled them. I cut them back to, I didn't keep more than two pairs of needles from the previous year's growth. Wow. That's how hard oh. I cut them. Oh my and yeah. what's funny is you almost, yes, you get a ton of budding and you shorten up all your inner nodes and it gives you an awesome yeah. kind of way to make up for past mistakes sure. if, you, if you're getting, yeah. letting things get too big. Sure. The other thing I've noticed is I'll do a lot of cutback at decandling if need be, apart from asking for needle buds where if, so some of my trees, I didn't get to my fall cutback yet. And so if I reduce 50% of the branches, when I decandle, it'll help those branches push a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so then you start balancing, okay, it's a weak tree that was repotted, but if you cut back, that has a little more push for those remaining shoots. And so you start, and then you start measuring what's the cost if I don't decandle. If it's a small bud, maybe I'll just skip it that year. If the yeah. buds are huge, then I know that I, I'll be better off decandling. Yeah. How do you handle the the needles, the the long needles? If you if you don't, are you in favor of cutting those, or do you do uh, cutting them back to the length of uh, decandled uh, needle regrowth? Or I think what, of that as a. Those? It, it, I think of that as a completely. Um, it's funny. Superficial is the wrong word, but meaning for looks only. If you want it to look nice, mm-hmm. you cut it back. If mm-hmm. you don't, you leave it long, okay. as long as the light's getting in there. Mm-hmm. You know, introducing the leaf size a little bit. So it's kind of like cutting your maple leaves in half. But I tend to cut very few needles in a given year, like most years close to none, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly has uh, importance in a show. Uh, I'm also going to be decandling more young trees than I normally do, just because I'm playing with different ways of getting the uh, inner nodes I want at some early stages of development. So you kind of slow down on some of the trunk building to get some of the structure you want, and then you reaccelerate the trees from there. Mm-hmm. And do, do you, do you work with some single flush pines as well? Do you do any, any pinching? You know, a small number, uh, speaking of slow trees, I have a couple of what I think are ponderosa pines and one of them, the candles are just now elongating. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even have differentiated needles coming out of it yet. And here it is mid-May. <laughs> but no, we can't do... Some white pines you can grow around here, some you can't. If they're grafted and have the bluish cast, they usually do fine. If yeah. it's the yellowish cast white pines, uh, I, I move them along to people that have winter as fast as I can because the <laughs> odds are just very low that they'll do well down here. Yeah. yeah. But What yeah, about us? Sure, those all do well. Do you have uh, any plants that you're de- going to decandle that are not a Japanese black or red pine? Mm. 
No, I don't think so. Nothing comes to mind for that. Do you? Yeah, I have a, a loblolly pine that's a oh, pretty nice. significant tree. And uh, that one's really funny to compare to the black pines because it's uh, I decan It's a very large tree. It's maybe four feet tall or something like that. And I decandle that at the same time that I do my shoheen black pine because oh. it's it's pushes is such a strong plant if uh if you live in texas or you know the carolina somewhere where it grows you can get two flushes a year um and you can decandle it twice but uh yeah it's it's a very very strong plant uh and so i have to do it you know, this, this was one of the last ones that i do oh yeah. that's cool we have some images coming out this week on uh, on my blog of uh, this wonderful loblolly oh good i look forward to seeing that I want to get a nice uh, Monterey pine. Those are some fun non-black pines really, that was, have their own odd decandling schedule. I've never, never worked on on one. Yeah. What what makes them odd? How are they How are they different? Well, uh, like so many species, depending on who you talk to, there's a whole different approach to how you grow them. And some people try to. I mean. The most extreme I saw was back when Ernie Kuo was keeping him juvenile. That was one approach. Another approach would be, uh, you know, Boone is on occasion recommended decandling every other year. Hmm. And what's interesting is if you attack them too much, they will go all juvenile. And so the trick is how do you get the right size internodes and the right size vigor so you end up with needles that you want to have by wintertime? Hmm. Okay, this is a, I'm a deciduous guy, so I don't understand this. What does juvenile growth look like on a pine? <laughs> what is, what is that? We, we know what it looks like, like a on a juniper. That's easy. But. So instead of getting <laughs> differentiated needles that come in, you know, twos, threes, fives, uh, with a little fascicle wrapped at the base, it's more of a uh, fleshy growth that comes kind of like the bracts on a black pine that comes directly from the bud itself. Yeah, they're like usually a, a pale bracts. color, often a blue color, much shorter needle. And so I think more like a, a Procumbens juniper with both mature and needle foliage or a San Jose juniper that you prune so hard, you keep it all needles. Mm. Yeah, the pinion pines um, that uh, I played with when I was down in Arizona would grow in, in a pot, would, would often grow juvenile right alongside normal needle growth uh that was that was pretty curious but i remember what ernie was doing it was also doing that i think with aleppo pine or some of the mediterranean plants those are very easy to keep juvenile right 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 and stone pine was he doing that yeah the pine pinus pinea okay. and the uh yeah yeah, yeah yeah and holopensis are both good options for juvenile if that's the look you're going for but those are also yeah. really fun ones yeah. when i started writing about it i had all this fun feedback from people all over the world who it turns out that whoever you ask gives you a different definition for decandling. They're like, of course we decandle white pine. Of course we decandle mugo pine. And they all right, meant very right. different things about it. And it often Certainly. ended up being forms of pinching breaking, the shoots right, at yeah. the very right. end of the bud or breaking buds or things to slow down right. those. But they all said, nope, right. it's decandling and that's what we do and it's the best. Uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to have a conversation if we're... <laughs> we're talking on different ends of uh of technique with uh yeah different words anyway <laughs> but yeah thanks for reminding me andrew that i've got to start on the pine soon i'm i mean i'm building a shed this week so that that's uh 
Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> that that's my days are doing that. And then at okay. night I'm just picking a tree off the shelf to yeah. cut back and wire. That's funny. I'm I'm building a shed as well. Nice. <laughs> In the same boat. Nice. Spring work, everybody. Yep, right, yep. Right. Make a shed. Building a exactly. shed and decandling a pine at the same time. Exactly. So yeah, I might have to start decandling soon. I was gonna start probably at June, but yeah, maybe I should start early now that I'm talking to you all. But again, it, the sun won't come out today. So whether or not I do anything, the tree's not going to grow much anyway. Well, uh, this is the marine layer you're talking about that, that just sort uh -huh. of hangs around. Okay. Yeah. And it's highly variable. We can get sunny Julys and we can get warm Junes and Julys. You just, you never know going into it. Our highest temps are actually very oddly in the Bay Area. Uh, September is usually the hottest month. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So not good if you're trying to time things for a show in September, not bad if you're trying to time things for a show in uh, the dead of winter. Speaking about shows, how's the Pacific Bonsai Expo going? Is, mm. is there any movement on that? <laughs> not public movement, but Eric and I are working on the website and we're actually starting to chip away at our policies. We spent a day together shopping for Redwoods up at Bob Scheiman's place, Mendocino oh. Coast Bonsai and that gave us a lot of opportunity to talk about everything but the show, but we did kind of figure out um, at least what our next steps are. So we're building out the website. We're coming up with our policies. We're trying to line up uh, jurors to see what trees can get in. And our goal is that by the, uh, oh gosh, just a few months out from now that we actually have a functional website, that we have the venue and the dates and that we have jurors and uh, guidance for people that want to show trees. Great. I haven't listened to it yet, but uh, everyone, we do have a podcast out there uh, with uh, Jonas talking about this show uh, with Eric. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have a, an idea of the dates? Do you want to throw that out? I, We're looking uh, at I the second weekend in November 2022. Ah, okay. okay. We'll be setting up on Friday and then it'll be a Sunday, Saturday show. So mm -hmm. same basic bonsai brief format and the i have talked with the venue as well and they've confirmed those dates are available we have yet to tie it down but it does look like the dates are good nice and Great. that will give people the option to show trees in fall color or bare and for you all would that be bare at that mm -hmm. time of year it'll yes. be bare yeah. mm -hmm. and it's great because we can Get away from the garden and not have to worry too much about watering, which is, which nice. is yeah. nice. Yeah, the That's timing the, is excellent. Yeah, September is probably the for the national show. You could not pick a worse time to be away from the garden for us. It's just it's, <laughs> That's when yeah. we're going to hit our 100 degree days. It, that's a hard time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, the only question mark for us would be the the pass of Mount Chasta. <laughs> we might have to come down the coast. <laughs> oh gosh, <laughs> never know what's going to happen up there. Yeah, and interestingly, the drives never heard. Oh. Of. <laughs> the drive's longer for you all than it is from us, just because the highway runs direct through from San Francisco. So, Okay, well, so is there anything yeah. else we didn't cover? You got fertilizer and grafting and pruning and gosh, even decandling already in spring. Yeah. Have you yeah, done I think any leaf pruning yet or does that come out a little bit later? Later for us. We don't even have leaves on some of our trees yet. Really? <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> well, I'm, actually, uh, I did want to oh, go ahead. I, I'm just starting to think about some leaf pruning. I'm looking out at a shishigashira that's just hardened off and seeing uh, 
uh, just starting to see some yellow leaves on the interior. So I got to yeah. I got to start getting busy on that. The Coralopsis are especially difficult because they get a leaf that's quite large. And so uh, the larger leaf plants I tend to clean out earlier than the smaller leaf ones. So have you ever tried cutting those leaves in half or do you just cut off leaves you can uh, afford to cut off? I cut them in half. I, I fold them and cut them at an angle so it still kind of looks like a leaf. But uh, I, I do cut them in half or even uh, sometimes by two thirds, um, just depending on how big it is compared to the, yeah. the other ones around it. But yeah, yeah it's. Uh, yeah. yeah, this uh, reminds I mean, me, Andrew, I have to ask you what you want us to do with the beach at the Japanese garden. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if anything. Yeah. Yeah. Did yeah, I tell you it's growing in another set of shoots? Yeah, yeah. Following it's, your it's, cutback, it's uh, really the strong. second flush of growth on a beach is very abnormal. Yeah, wow. um, yeah, yeah. I think um, we should pinch it again. It's it's a, it's uh -huh. kind of an unruly plant. It, it's and, young uh, and cultish. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah and need need some uh, <laughs> need some limits. Let's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. fertilizing everything else, but that one I'm I'm pausing. <laughs> Probably next week. Yeah, I think we could pinch that. Okay. And how's the how's the Japanese garden going? We have a few plants up there, and um, yeah, they're doing well. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Evan is actually going to start uh, studying with me in the seasonal classes. Oh, great! Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's exciting to have trees back at back at the Japanese garden again in the public. It's it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a nice uh, outdoor museum of sorts <laughs> to show show your work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, that reminds me, I wanted to follow up on what you were saying, Michael, at the very beginning about limits to pinching maples. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Do, do you have any uh, any feelings about that? I, I, uh, I'm curious about that one. <laughs> Here I have people's experience. I have more maples than this year than I did last year in the garden. And what I found is I don't hesitate to pinch where the tree is strong, but I don't find as big a benefit or at least as, as necessary to pinch the kind of the lower interior weaker stuff. And so I've got yes. a little tiny Shoheen maple where if I don't pinch every single thing and literally if I miss it by a day or two, then my inner nodes are shot. Like the timing is incredibly yeah. narrow for pinching robust small trees. But for the bigger trees, I'm finding that selective pinching seem to work really, really well. So the tops of trees, the spots yeah. where the bigger shoots keeps coming out. And at the very tops of stronger maples, I'm finding you kind of need to keep pinching throughout or you're just going to get big shoots that, yeah. you know, you miss a week and you're going to have five, six inch shoots on the top of the tree. Yeah, I think a modest sized tree, large Japanese maple is it is so similar it's it's almost like a benchmark for any other single flush plant you mm -hmm. you're you're attending to the strong parts and you leave alone the weak ones it's very very sort of logical but as you said those those really small plants my hats are off to people who who, who do oh shoheen japanese maple hats off <laughs> incredibly hard <laughs> yeah timing timing and but can't I, you just kind of say screw it and just let it extend and defoliate it? <laughs> you get the these giant inner nodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've lost your whole year's growth, and then you're yeah, pushing yeah. from the same bud, which means you got these big, fat, twiggy things. It's almost and, like missing a, a, a shoheen uh, black pine decandling, I, I, mm -hmm. unless you're willing uh -huh. on the Japanese maple to cut back to wood. I think I, that, that's you know, that's what I, I find. Don't think you have an option. 
And in I fact, find... we have a tree in the yard that's doing just that. Yeah, <laughs> we did miss the window this spring and we're going to have to cut it back hard. Yeah, I sneezed this year and missed the window to cut back. And so what's the what's the character on the Adams family that's just like a big cousin it? Cousin it. Yeah, cousin that's it. what it looks like this year, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah I, I sneezed and four minutes later, the internodes were five inches long and was like, okay, well, this year. And so, it, yeah, I found it on the Shoheen. I have to, I repot in the winter and then you have to pinch right when they come out. And then just a few weeks later, you have to cut off every other leaf. And then around that same time, you have to cut every leaf in half. And if it's still putting out new shoots and I partially defoliate or fully defoliate and then do it again in the second half of the year. Wow. You know, that's a, that's one of the funniest things about our, our perception, or at least the perception I had about Japanese maple. I was like, oh, it's a single flush plant. This is a, you know, this is one of the easier ones to take care of. And actually it's far busier and more time sensitive than trident maple, which we think of as this, you know, really busy plant. But the busyness of, as Andrew was saying, you know, if you live in a warm, humid climate, you know, you can cut it back, you know, many or defoliate it a whole bunch of times during the year, but it's all spread out. It's not all packed right. into, in, into this really intense spring. Uh, and so it's often one of the first plants that we work on, strangely enough. Yeah, and it's one of the most forgiving in that it gives you a few short internodes and then a few long ones. Right. <laughs> so it bakes right, in right, the internodes right. sure, we sure. want, whereas Japanese maples are almost the exact right. opposite. They're like, ooh, let's get out there as fast as we can to try to <laughs> capture yeah. more light. Yeah. But what I found about the maple recipe is that it changes year to year. It's not necessarily going to sustain all of that growth. And so more and more, I'm finding out if you really want to hit it right, you've got to kind of pay attention to what the tree is doing. Maybe it won't be as dense. Maybe you don't need to cut the leaves in half. Maybe you won't have to partially defoliate. And mm -hmm. maybe you'll have to fertilize a little more, maybe a little bit less. And so it's I thought when I first got the internodes I want, I thought I rejoiced. I had quarter inch internodes all over this tree one year. And I thought, wow, that's the greatest thing in the world. And then I realized <laughs> I had to change the recipe the very next year because it had been so weak that previous year, obviously right. it didn't have the oomph to push the next year. So you're always right. just kind of surfing yeah, that's right. That's right. That's to a figure good... out which techniques to throw at the tree. Yeah, everybody. I, we were just watching Jonas do this undulation with his hand. <laughs> it's like a sine wave. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. If if you miss uh, or if you keep that same program going the next year, it, the tree won't create buds, and then you've just lost your branch. And so now, for those larger maples that I've taken over the care for, I'm finding they're a little bit dense near the top but they're just fine near the bottom. And so I'm going to go in and take out probably every other leaf in those more dense areas. And then that's going to be it for the year. I've just kind of done working on those guys. Yeah. 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 And worry about Jonas, I'm, I'm glad you circled back to pinching because I wanted to ask you, um, I, I went from my garden, maple is the number one species I have by, or by genus in my garden. But number two, I used to have very few hornbeams. Now they're ah. the second most common genus in my garden. Um, I'm wondering, have you pinched your, your Korean hornbeam in the past? You know, I haven't pinched it and that's probably the, one of the best things I should try. I now have several more hornbeam this year. And so I have some things to play with. So maybe next year I'll do that this year. I did a lot of repotting. And so a lot of things, I'm just kind of letting them grow for the year, but no, I tend to let it shoot out. And by shoot out, it's often an inch to two inches of growth I get by this time of year. And so it's kind of just what you want to get a little branch division. Have you done a lot of pinching on hornbeam? 
I haven't, uh, but I was watching the uh, the extensions here. I was like, wow, these look a lot like beach. You know, <laughs> I should be pinching these, but I, I was like, well, I've never seen someone pinch a hornbeam. <laughs> it's, you know, they don't have a lot of them in Japan, so there's not, you know, articles on it or whatnot. And so, yeah, I've, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to start trying. Do you have different kinds of hornbeam, either the American or European? I, I have, most of the hornbeam I have are Korean. I probably have now two or three dozen Korean hornbeams in the garden. Um, but I also have the Japanese, uh, they call it the red twig hornbeam, uh, the carpine, or carpinus laxiflora. Um, and so I have maybe a dozen of those kind of sprinkled oh, wow. around. Uh, and so those, those are a little bit more on the sensitive side. I don't think I would ever pinch those, but the Korean hornbeams, yeah, which are yeah. quite a bit stronger, I'm, I'm looking at them growing in the early spring and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should pinch that. But, yeah. yeah, and I find that's where genetics comes into play because the one I've worked on the longest just naturally has incredibly tiny leaves, whereas the hornbeam on the shelf right next to it, the leaves are two to three times bigger. And yeah. so that one, I'm, it's it's kind of more like a trident, but with big, it's like a big leaf trident is how the that hornbeam is growing. And so I'm, it, I can't cut it back as hard as that, but I'm looking to do a lot more cutback on that. And that might be a good candidate for pinching next year. Yeah, or even partial uh, leaf, uh, like cutting a leaf in half. I've maintained a big old uh, Korean hornbeam, and they do have uh, they do respond to that pretty well. I'm going to have to do that. It's either an American or European hornbeam. I don't know what it is mm -hmm. since it came out. Um, I actually need to look that one up. But the leaves are enormous on it, maybe two, three inches mm -hmm. long. And so I'm going to have to do some radical leaf pruning on that tree. A lot of shade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you've got too many trees, Andrew, to do leaf pruning on every one of those things. Yeah, and that's where some of the more aggressive techniques with the the, the garden shears, shears. <laughs> can kind of come sure, in. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Especially when the plants are rough and younger and you don't care if you have a leaf that's kind of cut at a weird angle or something. Yeah, yeah. early development, if you have a lot of plants, mm -hmm. your tools change. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Do you pinch totally. most of the shoots on the healthy beach? In winter or in spring when they're coming out? Um, I do on beach, yeah, especially if it's a young one that I'm trying to rein in uh, once the trunk and primary branch is there. But I find pinching is one of the only ways to really slow it down. Um, and so like that that beach that, that went to the Japanese garden that we were talking about earlier with Michael, um, that tree was pinched uh, and it wasn't fertilized, <laughs> it, uh, but it did have a hard cutback. So that forced it to, to uh. flush again after it's pinching. And so we'll We'll pinch it again and try and roll it in. But that's a tree that, wow. uh, or it's a forest planting. I'm trying to really slow it down and kind of stabilize it. So that that was one of the few exceptions of, of plants I did not fertilize this this spring. Um, that's amazing. But, but it's most so strong. It's yeah, so strong. And I haven't either. There. Yeah, beech beech are beech are a little difficult to try and slow down. But once they do, I mean, they get the, these incredibly small leaves and and they become quite easy to maintain. It's just that shift from being a robust plant to, to a, a nice, you know, moderate bonsai that, that, that shift is really difficult. And I think that's what I have. I did a fairly involved repot on a beach forest. It's maybe 40, 50 years old. And uh, after the repot, I just wanted to make sure it grew. And that's the one where the darn squirrels ate. They pretty much ringed the trunk on every one of the uh, trunks. That was just a lovely uh, bit of a, help that the squirrels offered in the garden this year and the tree came out super late but 
zero elongating shoots on it. It just produced tiny leaves and tiny internodes without a single human touch on it. And so this year, at least it's being a magic bonsai. So I'm just kind of fertilizing it and just letting it do its thing. Cause I'm like, this doesn't seem right for beach. So the takeaway from this episode for our listeners is that you can decandle black pines anywhere from March until August, <laughs> right? You said August. <laughs> And then uh, I've done September. Yeah. Oh, September. Yeah. Okay. So anywhere from May to September or maybe even April. And then uh, the other is that you just let your squirrels like encourage the squirrels to, to chew on the trunk yeah. in order to slow your trees down. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think one thing that we've heard from our four listeners is that they want a little more practical, you know, things they want to get out of each of our, each of our conversations. So that's good to like, you know, well, I can tell that. you where to buy bulk pepper spray and or a pepper powder to uh, take care of this to keep the squirrels away. That's yeah, we have that's a very uh, practical tip. We have coyote urine uh, in our shed. I'm, we haven't used it yet, and I'm, I don't even want to think how they got it. But uh, that's that's <laughs> Andrew, been our. Did you buy that? I don't know where we got it. Yeah, from. we got it. I forget why. Oh, we saw a skunk in the yard. That's why we bought that. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, oh, and so we okay. we bought it for that, but. It's amazing what you can buy on Amazon these days. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Oh, practical knowledge, everybody. You can find it right here. Right. John is a uh, is left coast bonsai going to start doing Amazon Prime? Uh, no, no, no. You're not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to be able to get a, a black pine pulled from the field and at my no, doorstep by 8 p.m. The same. We're day. going the other way. <laughs> when I move out there, we're going to the can and and string uh, communication model. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you have to pull. Right. You know, I'll know how right. who it is by how many jingles on the bell for how many times they pull on the string. Hmm. So that's yeah. You won't be able to find. You have to come find us. That's that's going to be my motto. I'm there. Come find me. Nice. No Amazon. Speaking of sending pines, John, those pines you sent are looking fantastic. No broken needles are healthy, and the pots have been uh, nice. I, the The felt pots seem to be a perfectly great alternative for young trees. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, I'd love to see some photos as they progress through the year here. That'd be great. They probably look exactly as you sent it because everything's growing so slowly. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been a funny spring for our growth. It's kind of off and on, really bad off and on, but yeah. But they're healthy and beautiful. The color's great. Wonderful. Yeah, John, actually, you just you just made an Instagram that people should start following, right? Left Coast yeah, Bonsai. Uh, that's right. Yeah, Left Coast Bonsai. I'm um, again. I'm not sure how the how well the can is going to take uh, photos, but I'll <laughs> do what I can to continue <laughs> sending out photos with the can. Uh, the pinhole. I just leave a pinhole. That's what I do. Pinhole that's camera. Right. Pinhole <laughs> camera. Pinhole can. Yeah. Yeah. We pinhole. have the technology. Pinhole cans. So yeah, follow us, uh, Left Coast Bonsai on Instagram. I don't think I'll probably do any of the other socials, but we're there. Nice. Well, yeah. any others? Any other spring things come to mind from any of you? No, I think we got to get out and water. That's right. Yeah, That's right. yeah. It's just <laughs> it's going to be warm today. <laughs> We've had a very dry spring here, so our, our watering uh, has been on point this spring. <laughs> it's right. been uh, very yeah. involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're at 50% of our normal rainfall. I don't think we've seen rain since March, like not one drop. And uh, this after a second year of drought, I'm kind of terrified that our water quality and availability is just dropping out from under us right now. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, I've thought about getting like a 55-gallon drum and just filling it with water just, just in case. Not crazy. Yeah.
The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. All right. What are we talking about today before we get started? 